All right, we're in the book of Acts, and uh, different titles for the book of Acts. Some Bibles just have the title Acts. Uh, other Bibles uh, list the title of the book, Acts of the Apostles. Uh, others entitle it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is kind of the one that I, I like for a title for the book of Acts. But uh, this morning, we're going to continue our study for the book of Acts. And isn't it interesting how um, dependent we are on... Um, Power and power. We were scrambling this morning. Well, the, the tech team was scrambling this morning to get our uh, computers talking to the net, in, internet. And uh, right before the service, it kind of it kicked in, so we can have our screens this morning. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Twenty years ago, there was a major power outage in the United States of America. It was August fourteenth, two thousand three. Uh, let me read the news report. A major power outage knocked out electrical power across the eastern United States and parts of Canada. Beginning at 4.10 p.m., 21 power plants shut down in just three minutes. 50 million people were affected, including residents of New York, Cleveland, and Detroit. Maybe you remember where you are when this happened again almost 20 years ago. The outage stopped trains and elevators, that would be the last place I want to be when a power outage happens. <clears throat> but uh, it stopped trains, elevators, disrupted everything from cellular service to operations at hospitals and traffic at airports. Boy, we need power, don't we? And some of us experienced uh, not too long ago ice storm and being without power. And um, I've noticed it's kind of fun for 24 hours but then four to eight hours, 72 hours, and as some of you experienced, a whole week without power um, is challenging. And this morning, we want to talk about power, and we're going to specifically think about the healing power of Jesus in the book of Acts, the healing power of Jesus. There are three major power sources in the book of Acts. There's the power of the Holy Spirit Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. <clears throat> and that's what happened on that day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came, and uh, here's uh, Peter, and he stands up, and in the power of the Holy Spirit gives this sermon, and 3,000 people come into the church. The power of the Holy Spirit. The other power source in the early church was prayer. It was something that they were devoted to. It was something that those 120 disciples in the upper room when Jesus had waited in Jerusalem uh, for the promise to come, what were they doing? They were praying. Peter and James end up in prison, and what's the church doing? It's, it's, it's praying. And so uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, power source number two is prayer. Uh, there's another power source in the book of Acts, and it's the Word of God. We read in Acts 4.33, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. So they were proclaiming God's Word, and God's Spirit moved all through the book of Acts. And by the way, isn't it interesting? We have those three power sources available today to us, don't we? Holy Spirit lives within us. We can pray at any time, and... We've got God's completed revelation. So this morning we want to think about uh, the healing power of Jesus, and let's look at uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter three, and a little bit into Acts chapter four, 
But let's look at Jesus' mandate to the twelve. That's where we're going to start just for some context here. Jesus' mandate to the twelve. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, when Jesus had called the twelve together, listen to this, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So here's Luke chapter 9. And Luke says, Jesus gathers the 12 together and he gives them authority. What? To heal people, to cast out demons, and to proclaim God's kingdom. Now, when you read through the entirety of Scripture, oftentimes um, that God gives miracle power to the prophets and to the apostles to authenticate them as God's messengers. And so God, during this special season, has given the apostles the ability to heal people. Acts chapter 5 is an interesting um, passage, and we'll, we'll look at it in a few weeks, but it says, "...the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people." Um, as a result, this is Acts five fifteen. People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats. Listen to this, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he fall on them as he passed by. So Peter's walking by, and people are lining the streets with, with the sick, and they're saying, maybe the shadow of Peter, who has his healing power, will fall on my loved one, and maybe they'll be healed. And so it says. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So Jesus gave a mandate to the apostles, and they were able to to heal people, to drive out demons, and to proclaim God's kingdom. And that leads us to Acts chapter 3 in our passage, and it's it's the miracle that happened in Acts chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 10. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. The Jews had uh, three times of prayer daily, uh, morning prayer, and then also a uh, afternoon prayer at three, and then an evening prayer. And you know that this, the early church was characterized by Jews. The early church was primarily Jewish, and it wasn't until later on in the book of Acts that the gospel begins to spread to the Gentiles as well. So what are Peter and John doing? They're doing what they always do. They're going to church. They're going to the prayer time, the 3 o'clock prayer time. And as they're on their way to the 3 o'clock prayer time in the temple, it says, Now a man who was lame from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put there every day to beg from those going into the temples and courts. So here we're introduced to uh, this man, His name is not given to us. Uh, What do we know about him? He's been lame from birth with some sort of congenital disease. He's not named in this story. Later on, we learn that he's over 40 years old. The story tells us that, or the book of Acts tells us that at the end of chapter 4. He's there at the temple every day in the temple courts. Now, how did he get there? He had to have some friends. He couldn't walk, so he was dependent. He had some good friends who every day would take this uh, man that was lame and, and put him there in the temple courts. Now, why did he go to the temple courts? Well, 
the way he made his living was through begging. And uh, there's no there's no social security back then. There's no sort of uh, governmental system. Uh, if you couldn't work, you were in a destitute position. And this man uh, makes is able to eat and uh, survive by begging. And so, if you want, depending on people giving you money, you go where there's lots of people. And he knew that the Jews would be coming to their prayer time uh, morning, afternoon, and evening. He also knew that a good Jew uh, would would give alms to the poor. That was one of their spiritual disciplines. And so um, maybe he's thinking, I'm most likely to get some money from um, some people that that know God. And so he sits right at the, the temple courts, and there he is like he is every day. And it says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as John did. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Notice Peter's response. These nine words changed this man's life forever. Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. Here it is. Here's the nine words. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. (laughs) Peter says, I don't have any money in my pockets, but I do have something that I can give to you. I have the ability to heal you through the power of Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus, a man who's never walked is going to get up and walk. It says, taking him by the right hand. Picture this in your mind's eye. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk for the first time in his life. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who sat begging at the temple gate called Beautiful And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Ah, there's the miracle uh, that, that Peter performs on this man who for 40 years have never walked. He was asking for money, and Peter gave him something much better. Peter heals him through the power of Jesus. Well, that leads us to the next uh, section here, and it's it's the message. So the mandate, the miracle, and the message, because now this gives Peter an opportunity to again explain what is happening. And this is the second of of seven different mini-messages that Peter gives in the book of Acts. Peter's a transformed man by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this healing creates quite a commotion. It creates quite a crowd that comes along and is, is trying to figure out what's happened here. And so let's look at it in beginning in verse 11. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John. So he's so grateful. He's embracing Peter and John um, who uh, have healed him. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. So he's basically saying, 
we didn't do this. The power of Jesus did this. And now he's going to tell them the gospel. And you know what the gospel is. Sometimes we come to people with you know, mixed news and we say, you want the good news first or the bad news first? When you give the gospel, the bad news comes first. The people can't come to Christ unless they know they're lost and they need a Savior. So Peter's going to tell them the bad news, but then he's going to tell them the good news. Let's, let's look at it. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Uh, Peter doesn't pull any punches here. And this is about six weeks, seven weeks, maybe two months after Jesus was crucified, so this is fresh. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You asked for Barabbas, a convicted murderer, to be released rather than Jesus. You killed the author of life. He, I mean, he is just going right to the, the, the heart of the matter. You killed Jesus. But here's the good news. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. We've seen the resurrected Christ. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So Peter gives the gospel, and he says, we didn't do this. Jesus did this. And by the way, you killed the Messiah. You killed the author of life. You killed the Holy One, the Righteous One. You let Barabbas go and walk free and killed Jesus. He goes on in his sermon. He says, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah should suffer. Peter says, this actually was a fulfillment of God's plan. What happened wasn't an accident. This has been predicted and prophesied all through the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 22. Uh, all these messianic prophecies that talk about uh, that the Messiah is going to suffer uh, and must go to the cross. So this was fulfillment of prophecy. Notice what he tells him to do. Repent. Repent. Metanoia. Refers to a change of mind, a change of directions. You killed Jesus. Now you need to repent and you need to embrace Jesus as your Savior. Repent, he says, and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Now he's talking about the second coming. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. It's interesting as you look at the big picture of Scripture, Genesis 1 and 2, the, the perfection in the Garden of Eden, a perfect life, a perfect environment, no sin. And then you go to the end of the book, Revelation 21 and 22, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, and it's what? A perfect environment, a perfect world with no sin. And we got all the stuff in between. And ultimately, Jesus is coming to 
uh, restore uh, what he made in the beginning and in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And, and then Peter goes on to quote their, their two most revered prophets, Moses and Abraham. <laughs> it's like, if you don't listen to me, I want you to listen to what the prophets have said. And uh, we read um, um, verse 22, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. And indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophet of the covenant of God made with your fathers. He quotes Abraham, uh, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. This is the fulfillment of that original promise given to Abraham. Abraham, through your seed, the world will be blessed. And that was fulfilled in, in Jesus. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. What a powerful uh, message that, that Peter gives spontaneously um, after the healing of this, this man, this lame man. And then now we want to think about the multiple responses. What, what happened? What was the response to Peter's message. And we see this all through the book of Acts. Uh, we see this today when the gospel is preached, there's always a response. Either receive or you reject. And uh, that's true when, when God's truth is proclaimed. So what happened? Uh, ver- chapter 4, verse 1, the multiple responses. Uh, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So while they're engaging and while Peter's talking, three groups of people, the the priests, the temple guards, and the Sadducees come up and interrupt Peter and John. The Sadducees certainly did not like what Peter was preaching. In fact, and you read in Luke 20, 27, um, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And someone has said, that's why they're sad, you see. Uh, they have no hope. They, they did not believe in the resurrection. And so now here's Peter, this ignorant um, Galilean fisherman, and here he is in the temple courts, and he's proclaiming what? Jesus is alive through the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees and the temple guards and the priests are saying, we need to stop this now. And so while they were speaking... They were greatly disturbed, and that's what the text says. I just explained it, because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail the next day. So here it is, uh, the first people to go and put, be put in prison or jail for their faith in, in the book of Acts, at least, is, is Peter and John. We're going to see this all through the book of Acts. This was... Um, Later on, Peter and James end up in prison. James gets beheaded. Peter gets released. The Apostle Paul, wherever he goes, basically ends up with a prison ministry. Uh, But Peter and John are the first ones. They seize Peter and John. They put them in jail until the next day. So that was the religious leader's response. But here's the good news. But many who heard the message believed. 
So the number of men, in, using that generically, the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. And so here we begin to trace the, the growth of the church through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, it's 120. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches, now 3,000 come into the kingdom, now it's 3,120. In Acts chapter uh, 4 here, Peter's preached another sermon because of uh, the healing and the attention that it brought. And now there's 5,000 believers in the church, and it continues to grow uh, throughout the book of Acts. And quite frankly, one of the, one of the reasons, and this is, this is true today, where the, where, you know where the church is growing? Around the world where there's persecution. Wherever the church is persecuted, the church grows. And the underground church in China and all over different places is thriving. And it's thriving because of persecution. How did this message get out from Jerusalem? You know, the, the, the challenge was take the gospel of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. Well, the way that happened was from um, Acts chapter... Seven, I believe, Acts chapter 8, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So, okay, we're not going to just keep the gospel here. Persecution came and now the church moves out into Judea and Samaria and as they move to Judea and Samaria, the gospel goes and the church grows. Well, this morning, and we're going to gather around the Lord's table in just a little little bit here, uh, but let's think about four life lessons from Acts chapter 3 and 4 and this uh, story of um, the healing power of Jesus. And here's, uh, here's our first uh, application truth is this, life lesson number one. The greatest gift we can give someone or share with someone is the gospel. The, the greatest gift, thing that we can do for someone. And, and yes, there are times where um, they may need money, they need, need resources, and I, and I do believe it's true that people need to know that you care before they care what you know. But the greatest thing we can do for somebody is to share with them the gospel of Jesus. And that's what Peter, that's what Peter did. Um, he says, I don't, I don't have any money. <laughs> But what I'm going to share with you, what I have, I'm going to give you. And what Peter had was the healing power of Jesus. And this man, I believe, was healed physically and he was healed spiritually. And we have the healing power of Jesus too, don't we, to share with people? And it's called the good news of the gospel. In fact, that's our calling in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul's writing about the gospel in verse uh, end of verse 19 and he is committed to us the ministry of reconciliation we are therefore Christ ambassadors we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God so God has given to all of us this ministry of reconciliation and here's the gospel God made him Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's pretty good news. God made all of us, those of us that put their trust in Jesus, who were headed for a Christless eternity, who are on basically death row, Jesus came and took our pain, our punishment, and then he imputed his perfection and his righteousness to our account. And now when we put our faith in him and turn from our sin, we get to go to heaven 
for all of eternity. There's no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Sometimes the difficulty is we have a hard time forgiving ourselves for the past. God has completely forgiven every sin. He will remember it no more. It doesn't mean that he forgets because he's omniscient. It means he will no longer hold that sin against you because Jesus paid it all. And we can give thanks for that. Let me ask you a question this morning. You can answer it in your heart and mind. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? I mean, that's our, that's our job. And we need to be ready and we need to be praying. And we've got some steps to peace with God tracks on the back ministry table. And we need to like carry that stuff around. And we need to be looking for opportunities to share Jesus. I mentioned my mom's going to heaven soon. But my sister, who's uh, been going up from Fort Wayne, Indiana, every weekend for the last month to, to be with her, and as I mentioned, all three of her daughters are, are there right now, and I'll be there soon. Um, they told me, man, and, and mom was a pastor's wife, went through a lot of hard stuff in her life, a lot of hard stuff. But God redeemed her and changed her. And uh, so in the last six weeks, she's led three of the workers at the home to Jesus. Three, three of the people that are coming in and caring for her. And I saw it firsthand last Sunday. I was there for about an hour. And uh, one of the workers come into the room. Mom looks right at the worker and says, do you know Jesus? That was our first, do you know Jesus? You know, when, when you know you're going to heaven soon, when you know that your time is short, man, she's cutting right to the chase. And that particular worker did know Jesus. He was a graduate of Cornerstone University, and I'd graduated from the seminary there, and so we engaged in a long conversation. But we need to be reminded that the greatest gift that we can share with somebody is to share the gift of the gospel. Number two, is this the appropriate response to the gift of salvation is a lifetime of praise. The appropriate response to the gift of salvation is a lifetime of praise. So if you're here this morning and know Jesus as your Savior, uh, what's our response? It's, it's a life of praise and gratitude. And, and look at the symbolically here. How did this man respond to being um, healed and to, to, to coming to know Jesus? Uh, it says that he's running around the temple courts and he is walking and jumping and praising God. And then all the people that recognize him, what are they doing? They're all praising God. Uh, what was the what was the early church doing as they as they gathered? Um, and it says they they broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts and praising God. And so and I remember Dr. Joel Stoll saying this: If God does nothing more for you than to save your soul through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, if He does nothing more for you, we owe Him what a lifetime of praise. And so Psalm 119, 164, the psalmist says, seven times a day I praise you. The book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 13, 
The author of Hebrews writes, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God, what? A sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess the name of Jesus. And so if God saved you this morning, we need to, we need to praise him. There's the chorus that says, praise him, praise him, praise him in the morning, praise him at the noontime, praise him, praise him, praise him when the sun goes down. There should never be a testimony meeting where there's absolute silence. Uh, We should be uh, filled with a heart of praise for what God has done for us, a lifetime of praise. Life lesson number three is this, a reminder that, that Jesus is coming again. And we see that in Peter's sermon there in Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as promised long ago through the prophets. So uh, Jesus has to come back, go back up to heaven. And this is Acts one uh, eleven. This same Jesus whom you've seen ascend to heaven will come back in the same way. He's coming again. And that's what Peter's talking about, that God, uh, Jesus has ascended to heaven, but someday he's coming back, what, to restore everything. He's not going to come as the suffering servant. He's going to come riding on a white horse uh, with a sash that says, uh, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will rule and reign forever. It's called the blessed hope in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. We get to the last chapter of the book of Revelation three times. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And so as we look around at the world and the direction of our world, and the direction of our culture, one of the things that we need to be reminded of is that uh, Jesus is coming back and it's one day closer than it was yesterday. And we need to be looking and anticipating and living um, with the return of Christ um, in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, number four here, then we're done. Here's the fourth one, life lesson. Uh, proclaiming truth in our increasingly secularized, and I'll add godless culture, will become increasingly costly. So just as Peter stood up, And in front of the the religious elite, he's proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, and he ends up in jail. Guess what's happening in our culture today? That as we speak the truth in love, as we proclaim truth, it's going to be increasingly harder. It's going to be increasingly more costly. We may have to be prepared to pay some consequences. The nation to our borders a little ahead of the United States of America in this, but you can read some stories of uh, there's some Canadian pastors that are in prison this morning because they preached Jesus and they spoke the truth in love and the government said, that's not acceptable. You're going to jail. And uh, that's that's the direction of, of our, our culture. And, um, boy, we need to... We need to be in tune with what's happening in our in our state legislature and our our government. And I'm just going to give you a warning: it's going to be increasingly costly to take a stand for Jesus. We see it all through the Book of Acts, uh, Acts four, Acts seven, Acts eight, Acts twelve, Acts sixteen. They're all in jail for preaching Jesus. 
Scripture says, all who live godly will face persecution. It's happening all around the world. Uh, the uh, world watch list uh, produced by Open Doors every year lists the top ten countries where intense persecution for Christians. And so uh, we need to be prepared for that. Jesus warned us, and he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Peter, or Paul rather, writes to Timothy, a young pastor in Ephesus, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. How'd you like that tagline to recruit your team? Hey, let's come on my team and join me in suffering for Jesus. Who wants to come first? You know, that, but Paul's speaking truth and um, it will be Costly. And so we come to Ephesians 6 and the spiritual battle that we are in every day. And Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. And having put on the, the, the truth of God, the armor of God, stand. And after you've done all that, he says, stand. And, in, and praying always as well. So that's, uh, that's Acts chapter 3 and... Uh, we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 4 next Sunday and uh, see how God continued to work through the early church. Let's, uh, let's pray together and then we'll, uh, we'll um, observe the Lord's table. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the good news. The good news that uh, if we put our faith in you for, to be our Lord and Savior and turn from our sin, that that our sins are forgiven. As Andy Stanley writes, how good do you have to be to get into heaven? And uh, the book says perfect, and that's true. So we all fall short, but thank you for Jesus who came and lived a perfect life and fulfilled all the law and went to the cross and shed the perfect sinless sacrifice for our sins. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would be um, grateful, eternally grateful to you for the good news of the gospel. May we live a life of praise. May we share the good news with others. Lord, may we realize that um, we need to speak the truth in love. And Lord, thank you for the fact that you are coming again someday. And so, Lord, would you bless us as we um, pause for a moment and give you thanks and praise for the cross and for what Jesus has done. And we will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.